0: show where a kaiju veteran and a kaiju newbie watch giant monster movies and
1: chat about them. I'm Amanda.
0: And I'm Andrew.
1: So we just finished our big move. I say big because we just moved half of our stuff into a storage unit and the other half is coming with us to Andrew's parents' house.
0: Yep. And it's not the reason we moved, but our last house near the end there was just chock full of ants. Chalk full of bugs.
1: Like, that sounds like an exaggeration, but there was probably just carpets of ants at some points. But in our kitchen, there was, what, a two-foot-by-two-foot two patch of ants yeah. making their way to the dishwasher for some reason?
0: And there was nothing we could do to stop them. I can't even imagine a worse scenario having to do with bugs.
1: Uh, I could probably name a few... At least our ants weren't giant, man-eating creatures from the era of dinosaurs.
0: Yeah. No. where did you get that from? That's such an interesting idea. Where did you get that idea from?
1: (laughs) You know, that movie we watched yesterday.
0: Oh, Rodan.
1: Yeah. Which you would think wouldn't have bugs in it, based on the little bit I know about that movie.
0: Actually, before we even get into the movie, I want to show you... The poster. Uh, it's got one on it. <laughs> I thought the poster didn't have one of the bugs in it, but it does.
1: And it only has one Rodan. Thank yeah. you very much.
0: Spoilers.
1: Okay. But you said there was two on the poster.
0: I th- Maybe I was thinking of a different poster. So, yeah. We watched Rodan. A movie from 1956. Two whole years after the first Godzilla movie.
1: Not to be confused with the, sculpt- the sculptor.
0: Yeah. Not to be confused with Rodan. exactly um what'd you think about it
1: it was very well done it was a lot more reminiscent of the first movie than any of the others we've seen
0: sure sure we definitely took a veer towards (laughs) the weirder campier stuff yongary had some things to say but it did it through kind of a campy lens and i would say rodan is less less campy yes there's some campy bits but it's less so
1: I don't even know if, if it's got even a lot of campy bits. It's pretty serious. It takes itself pretty seriously. It and it's done pretty well, especially given the time period you said this was their first color film.
0: It is. First, first, uh, I believe it's the full, first full length feature film that they did in Toho Scope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, is, which just means it's in color, and they filmed it with a wider lens, I believe, so you had more depth in the camera. You could see things. things look farther away than they would on the previous cameras that they were using.
1: And you also see all the wires.
0: Well, yeah, we were seeing the wires, and I don't know if that's a product of the fact that we were seeing it. It's one of their first movies in color. That might be part of it, so they didn't know how to hide it.
1: And the fact that we saw it on our 55-inch TV.
0: Yeah, and, or the fact that we were watching it on a 4K TV. <laughs> yeah.
1: What was that DVD? Was it a Blu-ray?
0: It was a DVD. Yeah. Oh, just a DVD. Yeah, it was a classic media DVD, and we watched it subtitled.
1: And then we went back and watched a little bit of the dub.
0: Right, because they made a few changes. Just a bit. Uh, we'll we'll talk about that. This movie is one of my favorites.
1: Yes, this is one you told me about really early on.
0: Yeah. Uh, Rodan is probably my favorite monster that isn't Godzilla. And part of it is the stuff we see in this movie. And part of it is kind of the characterization that Rodan gets in some later movies. I was
1: going to say, he's not as snarky as he is in some of the American ones.
0: Right. Or he,
1: the American one he shows up in. Yeah.
0: But it, it's a combination of the two. Like this, hes I really like that it's a monster that starts off with kind of a tragic origin story
1: and ends with one <laughs>
0: uh-huh and then later gets kind of a snarky characterization like he he gets real like a little m- mean but also jokey uh and he's
1: I... like the the bully at school who stands behind the main bully and goes yeah
0: except on the good side because rodan's usually on the good guys team
1: really yes just not in the american one, which is the only other thing i've seen him in yeah just for the record.
0: Rodan almost is always teamed up with Godzilla. They usually fight for a bit beforehand. They have to convince each other to work together, but they're usually teamed up. So
1: I have no idea about his normal personality then. Because mm-hmm. my only reference is the newer American movie where he is the bully. In King of the Monsters. Yes. Yeah,
0: And that, I think, got his personality right. He just was on the wrong team.
1: Yeah, but they can't have put Mothra on King Ghidorah's team. No, that's true. But we're kind of getting into the wrong movie here. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) So since this was their first Toho Scope movie, yes, (laughs) I'm assuming it did pretty well, bringing in some new technology, new exciting technology.
0: I know it did very well, but I can't tell you how well it did. It had a budget of, as I've written on my cheat sheet, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. I have no idea what the budget was. (laughs) But it made... Box office, it made 143 million yen, which is about a million and a quarter dollars.
1: Before inflation.
0: Right. In 1956.
1: How much did it make compared to the Godzilla in 1954?
0: Godzilla made 152 million yen. So they're pretty close. Godzilla did better.
1: Yeah, well, Godzilla was the first of its kind in a lot of other things.
0: Exactly. And I think it's a better movie. Yes, yeah. But I still think it's a very good movie.
1: I was just thinking kind of like how Avatar, the blue Dances with Wolves movie. Yes. The Space Dances with Wolves movie Uh did so well, solely, almost solely based on the technology that it was introducing. I was wondering if rodan capitalized on the same kind of
0: probably probably also
1: the same hype
0: yeah it also the fact that he's a flying monster so you get to see different action scenes than you would have seen in godzilla that's true i think that's also part of it so uh you want to you want to walk us through rodan
1: so let me just start by saying when we were watching the title screen
0: the, the and, credits at the beginning.
1: Yeah, and you're seeing all the names flash by. First of all, they flashed by really fast, so it was really hard for me to catch any. But I did notice some familiar names, including um, executive producer Tomoyuki Tanaka. Yes. Um, Jun Fukuda's name showed up, who di- directed the last movie we saw, correct?
0: Godzilla vs. Megalon.
1: Even though this is outside of the normal history timeline.
0: Right. Uh, Jun Fukuda, I believe this was his first major Toho film that he worked on, and he was assistant director.
1: And I also saw Ashiro Honda's name pop up, and his stayed on screen for a while, so that one was hard to miss.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, He definitely directed this. We're going to hear quite a few familiar names, actually, and I'll just run through uh, the other ones that we know from Godzilla. Uh, The music is by Ikera Ifakube.
1: It did sound reminiscent of the Godzilla music.
0: It's got that, like, classic Akira F. Kube uh, sound to it. And the special effects were by A.G. Subaraya. So the whole team is here.
1: Hey, I know those people.
0: Yeah, all the big five. They're um, all working on this.
1: Soon I'm going to be the one giving the background information. <laughs>
0: uh, the writer for this is a new writer, though, and I do want to talk about him a little bit before we jump into the movie. The writer was Kaoru Mabuchi, and he is was a prolific screenwriter. He wrote tons of movies for Toho. And he's always, people always talk about him in comparison to Shinichi Sekizawa. Shinichi Sekizawa, we talked about in the Godzilla versus Megalon movie a little bit. He was the writer for Godzilla versus Megalon. I said it was a low point for him, and so we were going to talk about him when we get to a high point for Shinichi Sekizawa. But
1: this isn't him.
0: This isn't him. Kaworu Mabuchi, he was famous for being a very gloomy person.
1: I could see that reflected in this movie.
0: He always tried to talk about political concepts in his movies.
1: I can also see that in this movie.
0: And when you compare him and Shinichi Sekizawa, Shinichi Sekizawa also tried to say things with his movies, but his were a lot more light and fun. And some people who don't like the lighter, goofier, fun Godzilla movies blame shinichi sakazawa because he started writing all of the movies and Kaoru mabuchi would write movies that were not a part of the godzilla line so Uh, you you have these two big writers and they each have very different philosophies
1: what did Kaoru mabuchi go on to do
0: um he wrote rodan he wrote the mysterians which we'll see at some point who knows when uh (laughs) matango the movie about uh giant mushroom people
1: I've heard of that one.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Frankenstein Conquers the World, War of the Gargantuas.
1: I've heard of that one too. Yeah.
0: A lot of like really big, big movies. Basically all the ones that weren't a Godzilla movie. He was a member of the Japanese Communist Party, and so he was very politically active and had strong political beliefs. But again, very gloomy person. And so a lot of his movies get that tone to them. They're very serious.
1: I can see that just from this one.
0: Yes. And that's all I have to say about him. And that that's pretty much everyone who worked on the movie of importance. Uh, in the background. In the background. We'll talk about actors when we see them.
1: The movie starts off and takes place mostly in Mount Aso of Kyushu, Japan, in a coal mine town. It starts off with two miners who are having a fight. And you don't ever really find out about what. One of which is named Goro and the, oth- the other is Yoshizo.
0: Yoshizu? Something like that. He's not important.
1: Next, the movie jumps over into the engineering office of the coal mine. We meet our main character, Shigeru Karamura.
0: hmm Shigeru Karamura is played by a very young Kenji Sahara. Kenji Sahara is one of those actors that we will see so many times. He's still active. He was born in 1932.
1: Are there any other movies I would have seen him in?
0: We haven't seen any movies with him in it yet. Okay. You might have seen him in a movie I showed you before we started this podcast. Maybe I think he's in Godzilla versus Mothra, but have I, I seen that. I don't. I don't remember if he is. We're not talking about that movie. <laughs> um, he was actually technically in the first Godzilla movie. He was one of the people partying on a boat that <laughs> saw Godzilla, um, but this is his first major role.
1: He was just so convincing as a partier.
0: Yes, they <laughs> decided to, to move him up. <laughs> like I said, he's been in a ton of movies. He's still active. Uh, he also is very active in the Ultraman series. So he has a connection to Ultraman, which we talked about in Godzilla vs. Megalon.
1: Because he's rubbing elbows with...
0: Ichi Tsuburaya. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So Shigeru is making some kind of random... <laughs> statements he's saying the earth's getting hotter and the other person in the room says oh you mean global warming
0: yeah global warming 1956
1: that is
0: depressing that we've been talking about global warming since 1956 and haven't found any solution
1: yeah it's a thing that we've definitely been talking a lot about lately just the two of us yeah and So, you know those signs you see at some of the women's marches that say, I can't believe I'm still marching for this... Yeah. That's how I feel about global warming. Yeah. That just is...
0: The fact that we've known that it was happening since at least 70 years ago. 70 years? No, that's not right. Almost 70 years ago. Wow.
1: (laughs) That's like in... War of the Worlds, if the the aliens pop out of the ground, everyone's like, but are they really anything we have to worry about? That's happening over there.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And global warming's not super important to this movie, but they bring it up a lot. And, you know, it's just weird to me. I didn't know that people knew about global warming that far back.
1: Weird and sad.
0: Weird and sad.
1: But he he does say a line about how... The polar ice caps are melting and the whole world will flood. And then they immediately get a call saying there's a flood in one of the mines. But they don't know what the cause is. There's not an underground water source near there. And this is actually never explained.
0: Nope. It's just a weird thing. Sometimes that happens.
1: (laughs) And we find out Yoshizu and Goro are missing. They find Yoshizu face down in the water in the flooded area... And they take him in, and the doctors are washing his body, and we find out it's for an autopsy. And it seems like he's been killed with a knife of some kind, but there's no knife that sharp, which doesn't make any sense to me.
0: What knife could be so sharp? (laughs) We lost over it a little bit, but everyone at this point, like, the fact that Goro is missing and Yoshizu is not. And we actually heard very early on that the two of them were fighting regularly.
1: There's a lot of implications there's that a lot, yeah. there's been a murder.
0: Yes. Everyone kind of assumes that Goro done did to kill him.
1: That Goro knifed him.
0: Knifed him. With an impossibly sharp knife.
1: <laughs> that he definitely had on him in the coal mine. Yes. But Goro's missing still. And his sister Kyo.
0: Kyo, yeah. Who is played by Yutaka Hayashi.
1: Kyo is aware that her brother's missing. She's aware of the rumors about how they fought right before and is very distressed, so Shigeru comforts her and tells her to not worry about the rumors, just stay inside for now, and things will work themselves out.
0: Yes. Real fast, about Kyo's actress, Yutaka Hayashi, uh, is an actress who was a regular in Toho science fiction movies during the 50s and 60s. She did Rodan, she did Gorath, she did The H-Man, and then in the late 60s she left to work for television. But she she was kind of a, a common leading woman in a lot of Toho Science Fiction movies. I don't think this movie she is at her best.
1: I don't really notice her in this movie, I think is what it is. She doesn't really have an important part, Yeah, really. She's just kind of there to be a lead female and doesn't really contribute at all in any way. She's just kind of there to witness things. And cry. Yeah. (laughs) So three of the investigators trying to figure out where this flood came from, what happened, are down near the water, near the flood zone, and they hear sounds. We don't hear what these sounds are at this point. Just sounds of movement. Sure. And they think it's Goro, so they go to look for him. And that's when we start hearing this... Chirping sound, I think, is the best word for it. Yeah. They start wading into the water, and two get pulled under. The last runs and tries to call for help on the phone, and all we hear is him scream, and then it cuts the scene.
0: I think that the sound we're hearing is maybe actually a reference to an American movie, an American giant monster movie, called Them, which is a movie about giant ants (laughs) attacking Nevada after a nuclear explosion and the sound that those ants make is kind of this weird, lilting, chirping sound. And it's actually kind of similar to the sound that these guys make.
1: It's such a familiar sound to me, and I have, I'm i having trouble placing where it sounds familiar from. It It kind of is the sound in a sci-fi movie... When there's creepy stuff going on, like creepy monsters. It kind of reminds me of Pitch Black.
0: I could see that, yeah.
1: So the bodies of the men who were killed, the investigators that were killed, are brought in. They were violently murdered by something sharp, but they don't know what kind of weapon could cause that.
0: Perhaps a Japanese sword?
1: No, they said two swords.
0: Two katanas?
1: <laughs> Our next scene shows Otami, which is Yoshizu, the first guy who was killed, Yoshizu's widow, who wants to tell Kyo something. I'm assuming to blame Goro for all the stuff that's happening. And she's very distressed. She goes running towards Kyo's house. And she's stopped by all a bunch of other women who are like, it's not Kyo's fault. Leave her alone.
0: The community is coming together to help someone which i think is a theme in this movie
1: yes and i think that's something that is shown really well in this movie and i'll bring up some of the other points as i go but shigeru uh, comes in after they lead otami away shigeru tells kiyo that it can't be goro because the two men that were killed or the three men that were killed most recently were goro's friends so why would he kill them
0: right if if we thought goro did it because he and Yoshizu were fighting all the time, then that doesn't explain why he would kill a random cop and two of his friends.
1: And as they're having this conversation, we start hearing the chirping, and a giant bug shows up.
0: Yes, <laughs> uh, these giant bugs, or as they get keep getting called in the movie, dragonfly nymphs.
1: They're also called meganulon.
0: Meganulon. They are meganulon. These creatures are not just in Godzilla... Or, sorry, they're not just in Rodan.
1: Have I seen them in something? You have not. Okay, good.
0: There is a movie from, I want to say 2002 off the top of my head, called Godzilla vs. Me- Megagirus in which the Mega Nulon...
1: Grows into him? W-
0: they have, like, a queen dragonfly. I was close. That is the Megagirus that he fights. So, which is a cool, like, callback to this movie. Yeah. These suits are... 15 feet long.
1: Wait, these are suits?
0: The Mega Nulon are suits, yes. Is it a
1: person like crawling in it?
0: They're 15 feet long and required three actors at a time.
1: So it's like the Chinese dragon actors, but all crouching?
0: (laughs) Very, very much so, yes. So in all of these, in front spot is Haruo Nakajima, best known for being Godzilla throughout all the early movies. We talked about him a lot in the first episode.
1: He got cast as bug this time.
0: He he is... Well, he also plays Rodan.
1: Oh, okay.
0: He's both. But he's the front front part of the Mega New Second part, middle part of the Mega New
1: Is this the other Godzilla 1954 actor that doesn't get any scenes?
0: It is. Whoa!
1: Kas- are you proud of me? I
0: am very proud <laughs> of you. Uh, Katsumi Tezuka um, played the middle part and then a man named Tokyo Okawa, who I know nothing about, played the Mega Nulon butt.
1: <laughs> that would be... Can you imagine telling your family, hey, I got cast as a monster in a Godzilla movie. And they're like, oh, who are you playing? I'm playing a bug butt. Yeah,
0: I'm... You see those two feet at the end of the giant bug? <laughs> That's me. Those are my ankles. <laughs>
1: It's like a hand model, but he's an ankle model. Exactly. <laughs> so we see the giant bugs for the first time, and Shigeru and Keio and Shigeru and Keio go running out of the room, calling for help. And all of the townspeople are grabbing whatever they have on hand and chasing this thing. They chase it up a mountain, which is Ishiro Honda's favorite thing for his cast to do.
0: Yep, we talked about that in the first episode. <laughs>
1: Some forced exercise right there. Some yep. forced cardio.
0: There's a lot of it, actually, in this movie.
1: <laughs> Don't know why they chased it to a mountaintop, but they did. And they're shooting at it with their handguns and missing wildly, even though it's not moving. Before, it kills two of them, drags them away a bit, and leaves the bodies behind, but enters into the mine.
0: It does. Breaks through the gate of the mine and returns to it.
1: Finally, the army arrives. Which, how long has it been now? It's probably been at least a day since the first guy went missing.
0: Yeah, probably. We don't know how much time goes in between these scenes, but it's definitely more than a day.
1: They arrive when they're trying to repair the gate and have some of the miners lead them into the cave where the flood is happening.
0: Some of the miners, including... Shigeru? Shigeru.
1: Isn't he an engineer, though?
0: Yeah, but he works there.
1: That's true. So... In the mines, of course, they encounter the bug and they start shooting it with machine guns. Shigeru has this idea of trying to kill the bug by crashing some mining carts full of coal into it. And I wrote my notes, go squish. (laughs) (laughs) And he jumps off at the last second, uh, only to see that there's more!
0: Yep, there's another one.
1: But he says there's more.
0: Right, right.
1: As in, more than... I don't know, that makes it sound like more than two, though, the way he says it.
0: Yeah, but we only see one more.
1: Somehow, a cave... I guess, uh, not really somehow, I guess. (laughs) Between the machine guns and the coal mining carts crashing, it causes a cave-in, which squishes the new one. I just really like the word squish in my notes. (laughs) (laughs) But cuts Shigeru off from everybody else.
0: He's trapped in the mine!
1: (laughs) So the miners and the army bring in a paleontologist, an expert, played by...
0: Played by Akihiko Hirata.
1: Dr. Sarazawa,
0: Dr. Sarazawa from the first Godzilla movie. Uh, This is Dr. Kichiro Kashiwagi.
1: Even though I'm pretty sure they don't say his name at all.
0: Probably not.
1: I have this theory, and I, I talked to you about it briefly when we were watching it, that the reason these movies don't emphasize people's names as much is because I know that in Japan, the individual isn't as valued as the group.
0: Definitely true during the period that this movie is being made.
1: So my 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 theory, and I have no idea whether this has any credence, is that the audience at the time wouldn't care so much about the names. Does, do you think that has any merit?
0: I think it also po- possibly has to do with the fact that there's approximately a million characters in this movie. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but this is one of, I would say, the top three main characters of the movie. True. Yeah. So the fact that we never hear his name. I mean, maybe it's just a translation thing, too. Maybe the subtitles just didn't pick up on it or something like that.
0: That's possible, yeah. I don't know. I don't have an answer.
1: So they bring in Dr. Sarazawa, a.k.a. Dr. Kashiwagi, who says that they look like dragonfly larvae and calls them Meganulon.
0: So. Dr. Kashiwagi is a paleontologist. This is our second movie where they just randomly bring in a paleontologist. Okay,
1: but this time they see the bugs first.
0: Exactly. I think it makes a lot more sense in this movie than it did in the first Godzilla movie.
1: (laughs) Um, But Dr. Kashiwagi's theory is that between the coal mine unburying these things and the climate being right for them to hatch, meaning the warmer temperatures and more humidity caused by global warming that's what awakened these bugs after so long
0: yeah so while they are talking to dr kashiwagi someone comes in and is like there's an earthquake it's causing a, a cave in well not a cave in it's causing a big crater in the ground essentially and we see a shot a pretty good special effects shot of the ground like caving into this giant crater
1: it kind of reminds me of the look of um, Big Thunder Mountain in Disneyland. Yeah,
0: I get that. <laughs> yeah, it definitely has a Big Thunder feel to it. They're near Mount Oso, which is a volcano. And they say that this earthquake was not related to the volcano. And that the epicenter was near the surface. So it's a very shallow earthquake. I don't know enough about earthquake stuff to know how they know that, but I'm sure it's possible. And then they also talk about how Mount Oso is getting close to erupting. It's about to erupt, but it's not erupting. Uh, They go to the collapse site. They go to this big crater in the ground made by the earthquake. And they see a man. Shigeru. They see Shigeru. They pull him out. And he has just completely lost his memory.
1: Which I think this was pretty good representation of a person who had lost their memory. It's not like a lot of media where they just don't know who people are or what their name is, but they can talk perfectly fine and function perfectly fine. They can drive a car and, you know, they don't lose anything but names and places, apparently. But he, he's pretty shell-shocked. He's not talking, he's not making eye contact with people, he's not recognizing anyone, it's not like suddenly seeing Keo triggers all his lost memories. He just, he doesn't recognize anyone, he's not really interacting with things, he's just kind of shell-shocked, I think is the best way to put it.
0: He has experienced something traumatic, I think is fair to say. They are showing him pictures of dinosaurs for <laughs> no reason. Like, does this seem familiar to you? And he's like, he just shakes his head or doesn't say anything. I don't think he
1: reacts at all. Yeah.
0: And then they show him a picture of one of the Mega Nulon. And he kind of freaks out, implying that something that happened down there had to do with the Mega Nulon.
1: I'm shocked. It cuts over to a control tower for an airport. And one of the pilots is radioing in saying, there's some sort of unidentified plane heading for Fukuoka City. The control tower tells them to follow, but they're going 1.5 times faster than the pursuers. They don't know what type of plane this is or what nationality. They just see some sort of flying shape, and then it comes crashing into the plane and pops off the the nose of the plane.
0: Yep. It's supposed to be, like, a minor explosion, I think, but it just looks a little goofy, because... That just the front of the plane pops (laughs) out,
1: And I think that happens a lot in these movies. They just don't know really how to show crush damage as well as cutting damage. Because the way they cause things to collapse is they have to physically cut them.
0: Yeah. Although it's possible that it was cut by the wind or whatever.
1: But would it make like one clean cut like that?
0: No, it wouldn't.
1: They show an analyst talking about how this maneuver is shouldn't be possible. Planes can't fly like that. They can't make that sharp of a turn. Yeah. And they're getting similar stories all over, over China and Manila, and people are calling it a flying saucer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's flying faster than sound.
0: And I'm going to, just real fast, spoilers, this is Rodan. Um <laughs> I think that's such a cool, like, lesser-known power of Rodan, is he's not only super fast in the air, he's also more maneuverable than should be possible. Which, that combination means he is king of the skies, essentially. And I always thought that was really cool.
1: Is he more maneuverable than should be possible for a flying creature, or only more maneuverable than a plane?
0: He's more maneuverable than should be possible for a thing as big as he is.
1: Got it. Because in this, I thought they were implying just it's more maneuverable than a plane should be. Is how I interpreted it.
0: I think it's both. Like, if you want to do a hairpin turn like that, you usually have to be, like, dragonfly size.
1: That makes sense. So I'm going to censor my notes here a little bit. (laughs) The next scene is a rich... And the word I use for him is a... Feminine hygiene product for <laughs> <laughs> cleaning with water, but I'm changing it to rich jerk. He's a, he's a jerk. <laughs> a rich jerk and his girlfriend are off to see the crater that was cra- caused by this earthquake, and the butler says, "Well, isn't this area, isn't the area cut off? Isn't it off limits?" He's like, "I got a connection at the volcanological lab, <laughs> so." They're off to take pictures at this crater when they get chased by a flying thing. And Rich Jerk (laughs) and his girlfriend are running, and the girlfriend falls, and he just continues on without her.
0: Yep. I think of key importance is the flying thing is attacking them while he's taking pictures of her. Yes. So there are pictures of whatever it is on his camera, supposedly.
1: Yeah, so these two are now missing, and apparently so are some cows, meaning it's probably Grodan feeding. You can probably guess. Yeah. And the camera that gets left behind at the crater site has film showing them taking pictures, and it also has the shadow or the edge of a creature.
0: Right When they're trying to, just real fast going back for a moment, while they are trying to figure out what happened to these people... You're in, like, a police station, I think. Except one person there is a journalist who we see on and off throughout this movie. That guy, I just want to touch on him real fast. His name is Yoshibumi Tajima, the actor. And he's in, he's one of those who's in a ton of movies. It's not a major appearance for him here, so I'm not going to go into his, like, history or anything. I just wanted to point him out.
1: Personally, I could have given or taken him... I didn't really think he played any significant role in this movie. He probably didn't need to be there. It was just one more name for us to have to learn. Who didn't serve a purpose in the movie at all. He didn't really do much other than just be there saying, I'm a journalist. Yeah. and That's kind of it.
0: That's pretty much it. Like I said, we'll we'll go into him more in a movie where he has a bigger role, but I just wanted to, to point him out.
1: So they find the camera at this crater site and they're looking at the film. They see the rich jerk and his girlfriend taking pictures. And then they see what looks like the edge of a creature or a shadow of a creature. And Dr. Kashiwagi holds it up and says, this is clearly the edge of this pterodactyl wing.
0: Yeah, they're just like comparing it to a picture that they have of a pterodactyl
1: and it, the edge of the wing matches up.
0: It's the least scientific thing that they've done in this
1: movie. <laughs> but the rest of the movie's done pretty well as far as things I could see people doing to draw scientific conclusions. And I'll, I'll talk about that more later. But I think that the the science part of the science fiction of this movie is done pretty well in this movie.
0: I think you can thank that on Kaoru Mabuchi, the writer. I think he... Liked reading about science and liked injecting science into his More scripts.
1: Mabuchi.
0: <laughs> more, bu- more Mabuchi.
1: <laughs> we cut back to Kyo and Shigeru. Shigeru's drawing some kind of tunnel in a notebook. And Kyo tries to distract him by showing him the birds in their cage. The eggs are hatching. And she so she takes out the little nest and hands it to... Shigeru, and he sees the little egg moving about, and then a little crack forms in it, and he has a sudden flashback.
0: Yes, to what happened in the caverns. We see him right after the... He wakes up after the cave-in, and kind of looks around him, stunned, and he sees a ton of Mega Nulon. Doesn't quite freak out as much as I would, but he sees a bunch of Mega (laughs) Nulon. And
1: I mean, apparently he does freak out as much as you would. He goes into shock and doesn't remember anything.
0: That's fair. That's fair. Uh, and then he kind of looks up and sees a giant egg.
1: And we don't really get a good idea of scale from this shot.
0: Right. The egg cracks and out pops a little, a little baby Rodan. And
1: he's so cute. He's so chubby.
0: This is a... Like a little hand puppet of Rodan that they made for just him being a baby.
1: that makes sense.
0: And he's extremely cute.
1: He's so chubby and his beak is so short and his eyes are all big and shiny and black.
0: Yeah. Then Rodan, like, reaches out of the egg with his beak and picks up some of the Meganulon and eats them. And the scale is a lot more established here.
1: Yes, he is Picking up these Mega Nulon that are human size, 15 feet long Mega Nulon, and they look like worms to him.
0: Yeah, they just look like normal bugs.
1: And the noise that he makes, I liken it to the laughing hyena sounds that you might hear on the Jungle Cruise. It's kind of this high-pitched cackling sound.
0: Now, I don't remember. I don't remember. Does he... Make a different sound here than he does in the rest of the movies?
1: I don't think so. I think it's the same sound that we hear later.
0: Okay. the Rodan's roar, since we're talking about it, is one of those really iconic kaiju roars. You actually hear it as a sound effect a lot in cartoons and things like that. But it's not. it's not all that unique of a roar. It's... Just a really modified Godzilla Roar. Uh, and when I think about like how it sounds... I, I don't know exactly how it was modified, but it, to me, sounds like it's been pitched up and played backwards. Because Godzilla Roar kind of goes starts low and goes up and Rodan's roar starts high-pitched and then there's like a growl afterward. Um, So it, it feels like to me that it's just a backwards Godzilla roar.
1: Picture like a witch's laugh. Like a stereotypical Looney Tunes witch laugh and you've got a pretty good approximation, I think. Sure. Right? Sure. So suddenly Shigeru has all his memories. He's talking in full sentences. He's discussing plans and what he's seen. He's able to identify that what he saw was a pteranodon. And he says that after it ate the bugs, it got bigger. So whatever size we saw it at before, it's growing. Right. He's able to show the miners and the investigators where in the mine he saw this. And here is where they find a giant chunk of eggshell. And I think it's like about... Six inches thick.
0: Yeah, it's pretty thick.
1: It kind of reminds me of them picking up the Rosetta Stone.
0: Sure, yeah.
1: And I think this is probably some of my favorite science usage in the movie. When they're examining this eggshell, they say it's got a high calcium content. Under a microscope, it looks very similar to a chicken egg. And they use the curvature of the little piece of eggshell they have to estimate the size of the whole egg. And I think all of that is good science. I mean, it's simple science, but it's good science.
0: It's the process you would go through to figure out what it was.
1: Yeah. And now they call in an emergency meeting and I feel like there's a scene like this in every single Toho kaiju film.
0: Definitely in a lot of them. I don't think we saw one like this in Godzilla vs. Megalon.
1: No, but most of them have some sort of emergency meeting where it combines military and scientists, and it's the scientists presenting to the military and then arguing about what to do with it.
0: Well, you know why? The Shiro Honda, one of his big things, is to portray everyone working together for a common goal and for peace. And so a lot if not all ishiro honda directed kaiju movies have scenes like this because he wants to show doesn't matter where you're from or what your life's work is your you have a job and you you are able to help people work towards peace i believe even the miners are here yeah in, in this place with government officials
1: which makes sense because they know the mines they were the first people on scene and I'd say this movie, more so even than the first Godzilla, really shows Ishiro Honda's theme of working together and coming together for a common cause because you see a lot of people calling around to different departments and different agencies for information or assistance. We see the volcanological studies people and the people who study... Earthquakes. We see the paleontologists and the military and the miners and the, the pilots and the yeah. air force. And you just see all of these different agencies all doing their things separately and referring to one another.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely Honda's philosophy is coming through more in this movie.
1: But it's this meeting where they name him Ro- Rodan.
0: Do you know why he's named Rodan?
1: Is it to do with the chemical radon?
0: No, it doesn't. <laughs> uh, Rodan's Japanese name is Radon, which is just a shortened version of Tyranodon.
1: I hate it.
0: So he's just a Tyranodon, is what they're saying. He's definitely not just a Tyranodon, by the way, but his name is just a shortened version of pteranodon. Uh, but
1: I mean, Mothra.
0: Yes. They sometimes hit the nail right on the head. (laughs) Uh, They changed his name to Rodan for American and, you know, for English speaking audiences, because we have an element that is spelled exactly the same as Radon.
1: I was close.
0: You were very close. And they just, that was very confusing. I once heard, this is not true. This is me sharing rumors i once heard but i once heard that they changed the name because it was too similar to an english cleaning product called radon but like raid dash on which made sense to me but is not true
1: so you're saying that it's not just ishiro honda or mubushi being so inspired by rodin
0: no Again, it has nothing to do with the thinker.
1: (laughs) So they say that they're calling him Rodan. He has a 270 foot wingspan and is more than 100 tons. He can create sonic booms with his flight power. And they think, or Dr. Kashiwagi thinks that nuclear testing is what woke him up.
0: Which I think is kind of confusing the message of the movie. If they wanted it to be about global warming, why isn't Rodan woken up by global warming?
1: It's all of the above.
0: Yeah. Rodan emerges from the Earth, takes flight, and it's our first time seeing Rodan as an adult. And I'd like to use this opportunity to talk about Rodan.
1: Other than a vague picture of him flying where you just kind of see a jet-shaped triangle thing off in the distance.
0: Yes, yes, yes. We definitely see that first. Rodan, again, my favorite monster, other than Godzilla. For a long time, Rodan was supposed to have feathers.
1: I kind of wish he did.
0: Uh, They decided that that was a nightmare to make a suit covered in feathers. Fair enough. And that they wanted him to look more... The Shiro Honda wanted him to look more dinosaur-like, so he looked older.
1: Dinosaurs had feathers.
0: Not pteranodons.
1: But dinosaurs did.
0: Dinosaurs did. Now let's look at this poster again. You'll notice in the poster...
1: His wing shape changed?
0: Rodan has different wings, and you can actually see he's got feathers on the poster the edge.
1: I guess kind of. It just looks like a a jagged edge.
0: Yeah. So somehow, the original design for Rodan made it onto the poster. (laughs) I just think that's really interesting. The suit was very heavy. 150 pounds.
1: Is this more heavy or less heavy than Megalon?
0: Megalon was more heavy, but they had more experience using suits for Megalon. So they were able to kind of deal with it a little better. Uh, This was the heaviest at the time, but they hadn't done a ton of suits at the time. Nakajima, Harua Nakajima, who played Rodan and front of Mega Nulon (laughs) and Godzilla um, in other movies. Nakajima would not have been able to lift the wings... If he didn't have wires helping him. So when we saw those wires on the wings, those were just weight help. It was help lifting the wings.
1: So it wasn't even to help him fly.
0: It wasn't any, it wasn't anything to help him. They weren't controlling the wings with it. They weren't lifting him with those particular strings. It was just to help distribute the weight a little better. He had full control over the wings because of that. It was still very cumbersome. He also famously almost drowned in a scene that we'll see later where he goes into the water because the wires snapped and dropped him into the water without them expecting it to.
1: I wonder how many times this man almost died in a suit.
0: Well, we'll have to go back after uh, we do a bunch of episodes and see how many times I say he almost died.
1: Because didn't he catch fire in the first movie?
0: He catches fire in a a different movie.
1: Oh, okay.
0: There's a hand puppet for shots where it was just the head. There was the puppet of baby Rodan that we saw.
1: He was so cute.
0: Uh, There were also five, at least, different models of Rodan flying so that they could make him look right depending on how far away he was from the camera.
1: Oh, that's cool. So they don't just have to take the suit really far away. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Rodan flies out of the ground, and he's flipping cars over as he flies by.
1: And the next scene is the scene of the Jets versus Rodan. Right. They play some music from the first movie.
0: I don't know if this was used in the first movie.
1: They play some music that is representative of the military in Toho movies, per Andrew.
0: Yeah, Akira Ufukube, <laughs> It's a, it's the military march. I don't remember if it was in the first movie. It possibly was... But this is a song we'll be hearing a lot. We'll hear different versions of this song a lot.
1: Do you want to read my notes for me?
0: Oh, I saw them and I'm not happy about them.
1: (laughs) Do you want to read them?
0: According to you, it sounds like clown music.
1: It does, though. Which is so... It sounds like the music that would play at the circus when the clowns come out.
0: It's just so incorrect and also (laughs) offensive. Well... To me. (laughs) (laughs)
1: I feel like Ashiro Honda doesn't really have a high regard for the effectiveness of the military. So to me, it seemed like it fit, that it it just makes the military seem ineffective and goofy.
0: No. (laughs) Wrong. (laughs) It's got the fast drums so that it feels like a military march. It's got the trumpets, which sound like a military thing. Like, it's definitely a military song, not a... Clown song
1: (laughs) Maybe they're one and the same
0: Maybe Maybe (laughs) you're bringing your own biases in So We've got this whole sequence Where the Jets are fighting Rodan They're trying to shoot at him They're not really doing much They say at one point that their shooting slows him down I don't think that Them shooting at him slowed him down I think he just slowed down (laughs) He blows up what, two of them, by getting near them? Yeah. Because he's going so fast that just being near Rodan causes destruction. And I think that this scene would have been very exciting in 1956. I can see that. And this scene is one of those things that you don't actually see in Rodan movies very often. When Rodan shows up, you don't get to see him flying and destroying things in the air very often. You mostly get to see him flying and dropping a rock on Godzilla, or... What's the
1: point?
0: He's supposed to be so fast and masterful in the sky, and you don't really get to see that. Which is why, to bring it back to Godzilla King of the Monsters from last year, I was so excited that Rodan was going to be in the movie, partially because I love the monster. And also partially because we finally got to see Rodan versus Jets done, and he's very, like... Acrobatic in the air, and graceful, and super fast, and it—they it, redid this scene, I think, in Godzilla King of the Monsters.
1: They also show him flying over a city, and we see the wind blowing a bunch of things over. The tiles get ripped off roofs, and cars are flipped over, and windows are smashed in. It's very well done.
0: Yes, these are some of the best models that we're ever going to see.
1: I'd argue as good as the first movie.
0: I think better because in the first movie they had to fall apart realistically. And so you build them a certain way for this one. They had to blow like they had to fall apart because of wind realistically. And so they had to tile each roof individual tiles. They had to make sure that the structure of the building was right as the front of it was being blown off. Um, These are such good destruction scenes they get used as stock footage in a bunch of movies. <laughs> Did
1: they get used as stock footage in Godzilla Godzilla vs. Megalon?
0: No, because Megalon doesn't have any wind powers. <laughs> uh, but
1: it's the movie of stock footage.
0: It is. If if Megalon had wind powers, you can bet that they would have.
1: It's like Disney's Robin Hood.
0: Yeah, where stock just...
1: footage film exactly. <laughs>
0: No, they usually use it for when King Ghidorah shows up, because King Ghidorah also has kind of windy powers.
1: Oh, that makes sense. Wings. Yeah. They have an extended scene of tanks shooting at Rodan when he lands, where he's just kind of chilling and not doing anything, and then he shoots a breath weapon at them, which kind of looks like smoke almost.
0: Right. This never shows up again. It's not explained. (laughs) But... I always saw it as he's shooting, like, high, concentrated wind out of his mouth. Because all it does is make the wind destruction scenes way worse.
1: And that that makes sense. I imagine the only reason they added in the smoke effect is because otherwise you wouldn't see anything. You would just see his mouth open and his neck turning back and forth.
0: Exactly. S- still, it's a weird choice for him to have a breath attack at all.
1: When he has wings. When
0: he has wings that do the same thing. And... They get rid of it for all of his future appearances, so.
1: And then the big twist that I already spoiled at the beginning of this episode: another Rodan! There's
0: two of them! <laughs> it's implied that it's a male and female, but no one ever says anything about that.
1: It kind of reminds me of the moment in the 2014 Godzilla where we find out about the second Muto.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot of Rodan in the Mutos, which we'll talk about when we get to it, but I agree.
1: So we have a second Rodan show up, they both wreak a little bit more havoc, and then they escape. Dr. Kashiwagi says that Mount Aso must be their nest. So they come up with this plan to collapse the entrances, but it will cause uh, Mount Aso to erupt and destroy the town and forests and farms all around it
0: yep but they say they basically say it's way more important for us to get rid of these monsters
1: who already wrecked a town
0: yes you have to put the greater good over the individual good which is again a theme of the movie
1: there's a big evacuation scene of everyone leaving and taking whatever they can carry on their backs and being bussed away kiyo stays back and she comes to see shigeru And then we get my favorite scene of the movie.
0: I don't remember it being like
1: this. (laughs) From previous...
0: From previous views. Yeah.
1: You get a probably five minute scene.
0: It's so long.
1: Of the military using tanks and rocket launchers or...
0: Missiles. Missile
1: launchers at rocks. And so it, it looks very good, but you get five minutes, or something like that, I'm, I might be exaggerating, but you get a very extended scene of tank, missile launcher, rocks collapsing with explosion sounds and dust, tank, missile launcher, rocks exploding with missile sounds and dust. Like and...
0: Occasionally a shot of a Rodan in a cave, like, not doing anything.
1: It's just those three scenes with the other one thrown in over and over and over. I got so sick of the sound of explosions.
0: It's the same explosion sound over and over. It was part (laughs) of it. Yeah, it feels like it goes on for an hour.
1: Just like somebody hit button explosion sound. It's just somebody at like a soundboard hitting the explosion button over and over again.
0: Yeah, it's it's not great.
1: (laughs) But it does lead up to probably one of the better shots of the movie. The Rodans fly up out of their cave as it collapses in. So they escape and they're flying over as the lava's flowing. They slowly start collapsing down into the lava and catching fire. And they'll try to raise up again and they just fall right back down. And they're slowly burning away. And it's just very sad and very somber.
0: Yeah, they don't really say why they're doing this. But I believe the implication is toxic fumes from the volcano are suffocating them and making them fall
1: which makes sense and so the whole group is just watching them be burned alive and it's just very somber atmosphere very quiet the military people are like okay move out but then shigeru and kiyo and dr kashiwagi are all just sitting there watching them slowly die, and they're all very straight-faced, and nobody's celebrating, which, again, I think is a theme of Godzilla movies, is you don't really celebrate when the monster dies.
0: Right. Well, we're not going to see a lot of monster deaths in general. So I I think you're right, definitely, about these early ones. I mean, in comparison to the first Godzilla movie, what we get after Godzilla died? We got someone saying, oh, there might be another Godzilla... We better not do any more nukes. This one, it ends on just the monsters dying. We don't even get people saying anything about it. There's no sense of joy about it because...
1: And it actually goes quiet for a while before the music starts up for the credits.
0: Yeah. It's very... It's such an interesting tone to take it to.
1: It's interesting that they can have a creature who kills a lot of people Mm -hmm. and causes a lot of destruction throughout the movie and you don't feel like celebrating when they die yeah i think it's just because they feel very much like forces of nature
0: or animals
1: animals exactly that's that's what i meant that there's no malice behind it they are just trying to survive they're trying to eat they're trying to defend their territory they're trying to stop people from drilling into their homes It's just very, not innocent, but not malicious either.
0: Yeah. It reminds me of a very famous quote by Shiro Honda who said uh, that monsters are tragic beings. They are born too tall, too strong, too heavy. They are not evil by choice. This is their tragedy.
1: It's like the Shin Godzilla song.
0: Yeah. It's, I think that, It definitely fits Rodan best, at least in this first movie. Definitely
1: in this first movie.
0: Yes. So I have a question for you. Okay. Rodan shows up in a bunch of later movies.
1: Yes. Is that the question?
0: What are your...
1: (laughs) (laughs) I aced it. You won. (laughs)
0: Uh, No. What, who do you think that Rodan is?
1: Like, who's the suit actor?
0: No. Like, we see two Rodans die.
1: Oh. Is
0: this a third Rodan? Or is it one that survived here? We don't get an answer to this. I just want to know what your idea is.
1: Well, clearly it's a new Rodan. Because, first of all, they don't say anything about this not being able to happen again. Sure. It's just an egg that was under the ground and global warming, which hasn't been dealt with. And coal mining, which also hasn't been dealt with, woke up. Yeah. Yeah. And nuclear testing, but whatever. Um, so you actively see these two being burned alive and turned to crisp. Yeah. I don't think they came back from that.
0: Yeah. it's po- yeah. I think that makes the most sense, for sure. It also would explain why there's kind of a personality change for That makes for sense, yeah. However, I'm just going to share my headcanon. <laughs> this has no... No basis in truth or fact.
1: This is Andrew's personal fanfiction.
0: It is. This is my fanfic. I've always felt that the Rodan we see in future movies is one of these. It's like the surviving one. It gets out of the lava somehow, flies back underground, recovers, and that its personality shift comes from having lost a partner.
1: It's the punisher of Kaiju.
0: Yeah. That's part of why I like Rodan is because I have a weird... Head cannon for him <laughs> but uh I've no, al- i like it i've always liked the idea that he comes from a very tragic background and responds to that tragedy by getting a weird sense of humor and just being kind of mean to everyone around him i like it he feels fleshed out to me when i say that again yeah. we do see both of them burn alive so definitely not true <laughs> but i just wanted to share that my other question for you is what do you think is the significance of this being in a mine town? Do you think there is one? It's not it it doesn't take place in a big metropolis like Godzilla. It take, starts off in being a, a mine town.
1: I think part of it is convenience. They need an excuse to have something come from the ground that's been buried. Sure. That's different than how they did it with Godzilla.
0: Yes, definitely.
1: Part of it is for the ease of set making, which we did talk about a little bit when we were watching it. The sets are, probably 50% of it is underground. And I imagine that's a pretty easy set to create. You could do it inside. You don't need a lot of lighting, which means you can cover up a lot of the roughness of it. You just really need some piping going down a hallway with low lighting.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: I think thematically it works because, and I don't know if this was intentional, if this was the reason they gave, obviously, but thematically it works because being a small town, you can have the whole community come together and it kind of feels like it's all one community as opposed to if you use a metropolis like Tokyo, then you get subsets of the community that can come together, but you can't really come together as a giant city like Tokyo it just doesn't have the same feel as you'd get when every single person in the mining town is all working together. Like when they go to chase the Mega New lawn for the first time.
0: Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Um, I think, remember that the writer was part of the Japanese Communist Party. And so he's very concerned with the working man. And a lot of our heroes in this are just working people. We then go to the government because you have to.
1: They have the guns.
0: They have the guns, exactly. But uh I think it's very interesting that we set this in a like a working town that also kind of represents the industry of Japan. But these are all just blue collar schlubs. (laughs) And I just think that's really fascinating. So I promised we'd talk a little bit about the American version. I showed you the intro to the american version what would you, what how would you describe that
1: it was only it was almost like an educational pick done in the 50s about the greatness of the american military and their technology it shows the military getting ready with a voiceover a very 50s like voiceover of like a narrator talking about what's going on but it shows a bunch of military people getting ready for a mission gigantic which is them with the latest and greatest technology getting ready to test some h bombs and how great the h bombs are basically which is really um tone deaf very tone deaf because they're about to go into a movie about japan yeah right after world war 2 yes um and it shows an H-bomb or images of an H-bomb and it talks about how big the mushroom cloud is and how it turns solids to liquids and liquids to gases and it just is very glorifying of the H-bomb and American technology.
0: Please get hype for the bomb.
1: (laughs) And then at the end there may be repercussions and Uh, There are some on the island of Japan that think that they already have seen these repercussions, and this story is one of those.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's just very... It's like they took a Japanese movie and turned it into an American propaganda film.
0: Yeah, definitely, at least in the beginning. There's a lot of that. Uh, The rest of the movie, it ends up being pretty much the same, except that they remove it's 10 minutes shorter overall so they don't they remove more than 10 minutes because they included this weird documentary about how cool the nuke is <laughs> uh, beforehand so they removed a bunch of stuff probably a lot of explosions near the end
1: <laughs> hopefully four of those five minutes you only really need a little bit of the explosions
0: and they also reorder a bunch of scenes so really it, so it makes a little more sense i think was the goal does it? I don't. It's been a long time since I've seen the American cut. Uh, I didn't think it was super confusing when I watched it, but when I want to watch Rodan, one of my favorite movies, I ain't gonna watch the American cut. <laughs> there also is a voice actor in the dub that I would like to mention, uh, and you know, kaiju movie fans are know exactly where I'm going with this. The paleontologist that we saw, Dr. Kashiwagi.
1: Dr. Sarazawa?
0: Dr. Sarazawa, yeah. He's in the dub, he's voiced by a very young George Takei.
1: Who doesn't sound like George Takei at all to me.
0: He sounds nothing like George Takei because this movie's 1956, Star Trek started in 1966.
1: He's, oh, wow.
0: He's so young in this movie.
1: His voice is so high-pitched compared to what I'm used to. He, I'm used to him having a really low, slow voice. And his voice is very high-pitched and very fast.
0: So George Takei was born in 1937, so he would have been 19 in this movie.
1: I didn't realize he was that old when he played in Star Trek.
0: I didn't realize that either until just now. This was George Takei's first professional acting role. This is the beginning of his acting career. And in his 1994 autobiography, To the Stars, he described the dubbing process in detail. And I'm just going to read a quote. We were each... I'm not going to do a George Takei voice.
1: Please we don't. were
0: We were each... To, no, no. I'm, that
1: sounds offensive even there.
0: I'm not going to do it. We were each assigned eight or nine different characters to do. With oversized earphones that make us look like science fiction characters ourselves, we stared up at a gigantic screen on a wall across which passed silent images. The prehistoric monstrosity rode soundlessly swooping down on panicked crowds fleeing noiselessly. Close-ups of bug-eyed faces in mute, open-mouthed terror. Shots of sober-faced officials gravely moving their wordless lips. We listened for three clicks on our earphones, which were coordinated with a flickery line that danced across the screen. The third click sounded just as the flickery line reached the right side of the screen, and that was our cue to speak the line. When the lips started moving, or the chest heaved for the gasp. The sounds we uttered had to match the movement on the screen precisely, or else the lips would continue moving silently, or our dialogue would persist over a closed-mouthed face. Unquote. I just thought that was a really fascinating look into the dubbing process in the 50s.
1: I always just think that dubbing in general looks extremely hard. Whoever has to... Make the line mean the same thing in the same length of space with the same lip movements. I don't envy them their job. Yeah. And while making it understandable for international audiences.
0: Yes. Yeah. Especially if there's jokes in it. (laughs) Jokes don't translate. Or idioms. Or idioms. George Takei also is in the second Godzilla movie's American dub. We will talk about that when we get to it. (laughs) is a very bad dub, and it is (laughs) hilarious. George Takei hates when people ask him about Rodan. He does not see it as a high point of his career.
1: (laughs) Which is funny because a lot of actors really like talking about their kind of niche stuff because the stuff that they're really known for, the things that are like the high point of their career, they get asked about so often that most of them like talking about their other stuff.
0: I have a feeling that it's partially because whenever I listen to one of these older dubs, the actors are always asked to put on a a stronger accent. That's fair. Or add a Japanese-sounding accent. And I have a feeling that he's maybe not proud of the fact that he had to do that.
1: That's fair. Especially considering how much of an activist he is now.
0: Exactly. So that's the oh, those old dubs quality wise are actually really good i can't watch them because they're all putting on these stereotypically they
1: don't hold up um, morally not morally but
0: ethically ethically yeah Thank you. they they all oh, they put on these really stereotypical east asian accents and it's just really bad so anyway <laughs> that's rodan who would you recommend rodan for
1: I think there's going to be a lot of overlap, in the people who would like Rodan, the people who would like the 1954 Godzilla, it's still the same crew, it's still the same vision, the same themes, the same...
0: A similar tone.
1: Yeah. They're trying to get the same points across, or very similar points across. It also holds a very similar place, not quite as up there, but in movie history, in... Japanese history it holds a lot of that same clout sure it's very well done, so I don't think that you have to be a fan of hokey movies to watch this one at all. It has some good points to say even for, especially for today I'd say even more so today
0: yeah and if you like hokey stuff you've got the giant bugs that just look like <laughs> the those weird uh the Chinese. Dragon costumes.
1: As long as you're willing to fast forward through a couple minutes of explosions of rocks.
0: I mean, that's just when you go and refill your drink.
1: (laughs) Five minutes before the end of the movie.
0: I agree with you. This movie is just a really solid, good movie. It moves a little slow. Especially near the end.
1: Yes. I don't know if it's for young kids who want to see giant monsters fight. There's no giant monster fights. You don't even get to see Rodan on screen fighting things very, very much through the movie, percentage-wise.
0: You don't see him very much at all.
1: So if you're going for a high-action flick, it's definitely not that kind of movie.
0: Yeah, but I think that just quality-wise, it's for anyone who just likes a, a solid science fiction movie.
1: If you need to get a hold of us, you can reach us on our email, Kaiju Island podcast at gmail.com.
0: Or our Twitter account, which is at Island Kaiju, or you could just search for Kaiju Island.
1: Our intro and outro are, are "Manga Maniac" by Olive Music.
0: And thank you for listening.
1: <laughs> Let's all fight bravely as a team.
0: <laughs> I miss Jeff.